Jonathan Edwards once wrote, There do meet in Jesus Christ infinite highness and infinite condescension. Join Adam Howell, Ryan Hanley, and Caleb Niedemeyer as they discuss living out deeply rooted affections. This is Oaks of Righteousness podcast. Welcome to Oaks of Righteousness podcast. I am Caleb Niedemeyer, joined by Ryan Hanley and Adam Howell. Hello. Across the, across the globe, and by the globe I mean America, of course, and... Same across. difference, right? <laughs> Isn't that the exact same thing? Well, guys, it's been a long time since we've podcasted, not since we've talked, but podcasted. Um, I actually forgot what we called it until you said Oaks of Righteousness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I called it something else one time to somebody they're like you podcast and I was like yeah it's called um and I I think I totally botched the name actually so it's been a while birches of righteousness (laughs) (laughs) the the palms of righteousness however another translation has that we can we can jump right in since we're we're about halfway through uh, November here a little bit more we're going to be starting in on the advent season and um, it's uh, it's a time where we remember that um, Jesus Christ came, but I, I wanted to to talk about how our affections and Advent go together, and how we can stir them as we remember this. And it's year by year by year, and so sometimes it can we can fall into a drudgery or um, a repeated routines, and then we we kind of lose the. Uh, I don't want to sound cliche, but we, we, we forget the meaning sure. or we just, sure. we take it for granted. Um, it's probably a better way of saying it. But I wanted to, want to talk to you guys a little bit, just from the Old Testament perspective, on the idea of, of hope and waiting. And um, because we don't, we don't unhitch the Old Testament in Amen. this podcast. Um, Amen. <laughs> That's good. We should not do that. But just, just, just on that idea of of waiting in the Old Testament, what they were waiting for, and then and then we'll jump into kind of how how to help help our uh, our affections be be bent towards uh, the long expected one who who has come now. That sounds like yes. the name of a song. You just stopped talking there. Are we supposed to like just go off of that or? Yeah, I mean it's. I, well, it's almost seven o'clock here now, but I mean, you guys have been up maybe longer than me. <laughs> uh, a little bit. All right, I'll go. No, that's a good question. I would. Um, I, I think fundamentally, the if you ask the who, who is the Old Testament waiting for, or what is the Old Testament waiting for, I would, I would have to fund I mean, just most generically say Messiah, right, the Anointed One, but then. I think uh, in the Old Testament that uh, runs all the way back to this uh, one from the tribe of Judah who would hold the scepter, this one who would crush the serpent's head, and you know, not to get too canonically oriented, but it it starts all the way back there with this this one that is hoped for, who will bring peace and who will bring um, peace by victory, uh, victory for his people, but also for his glory and. Of course, I'll let Ryan. You can pick up on any of these trajectories that you want to, but 
this notion of longing for a king who would come and would rule with righteousness and justice and with equity. And, you know, for those of you familiar with the Old Testament, I'm not pulling on any, I'm not giving you any passages, but, you, you know, you probably hear a lot of this Old Testament language. And um, the thing that uh, is usually, I'm going to just go ahead and throw this in there right now, and then we can talk about it more as we go. But the thing that uh, has been shocking to me this semester, I've been teaching the book of Ruth, and um, of course you have in Ruth the genealogy leading to Jesus, or sorry, leading to David, that then David, of course, points forward to Christ the King. Um, and this is a, a narrative in the time when the judges are ruling, a time that is you know incredibly suspect in Israel's uh, history as far as how they're behaving and the, the the refrain that there is no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It just leaves this expectation for a king in Judges. And in that exact same period, you have this faithful family, uh, this faithful family who produces uh, Obed and then Obed Jesse and then Jesse David eventually. And so you have even there this longing for a king in the midst of a difficult situation. And I kind of point to my student point my students to the the exile even where you know a much longer period of time but still a period of time where it seems like God's not active or maybe it seems like God is just letting the world run rampant or you know whatever it may be that you still have faithful people and a faithful remnant maybe we would say that are longing for this Messiah to come. And we see that, I think, in when you get to the, the New Testament, when you get to Simeon and Anna and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and all of these people who clearly see Jesus for who he is based on a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. So you take those two things where it, you know things seem to be destitute and struggling with God's people, and um, and then there's still this kind of lingering is not the right word that makes it sound too too chintzy, but kind of this ongoing hope, uh, I then point my students to our current situation where in the midst of difficulty and trial and suffering and persecution, whatever it may be, we find ourselves in the same situation as as exilic Israel, so to speak, where we are longing for our king to come again. Right, I mean, we, this second coming, where I think that this longing that we kind of celebrate at Christmas, this this longing for Advent of the King, we can have the exact same longing, but for the second return. And so, I just try to paint that historical picture for students, so that you know we're not so removed from the longings of the people of Israel. Um, and 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 their longing for Advent, their longing for Messiah, can be. Uh, I think we can feel that, so to speak. So, yeah, we we talked just the other day in class about about that kind of longing that that comes, and you know why is it different in the New Covenant context or something like that? You know, we talked about how, you know, when Christ comes on the scene, you you have this four hundred years of silence. Um, where you have these the, the the sort of cessation of prophecy in, in Israel, um, but then I, like I kind of tried to point out to them, I'm like, how long has it been since Jesus ascended into heaven? You know, I'm like, we're talking two thousand plus years. I mean, this that blows this four hundred years of silence out of the water. Why aren't we hopeless? Why don't we have that that lack of hope? 
in this. You know, it seems like if this is so many more hundreds, thousands of years longer, you know, why wouldn't we be more hopeless? Um, but I, I, as Adam was saying, this this sense of longing that we have, I think, is an even greater sense of longing because we've we've seen God's faithfulness exemplified in the Messiah coming. Um, it, it sort of establishes that that the hope that they had was not it was for it wasn't for naught. Uh, it wasn't misplaced. There really is a Messiah coming, and in fact, now we know that He has indeed come. So when he ascends back into heaven and says he's coming back again, I mean, this thing could go on for another 20 centuries and the church would continue hoping. And I think the, the biggest thing, my students, I, I love the fact that they caught on to this so quickly. Um, the biggest thing that propels this hope is the fact that the Holy Spirit is now dwelling in us, right? God's presence is, is with us in a, in a manifested way. Um, Ephesians 1 talks about how the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of this hope that we have, this inheritance that's to come. And so, you know, if the Lord is going to continue this thing for another 2,000 years, even from now, we can still rest assured that, you know, he's building his church. The church is not going to falter. It's not going to fail. The Holy Spirit will continue to propel this hope for as long as we have to wait, because it, it's not as if God is not with us now. The Holy Spirit is among us and actively working. Just piggyback on what Adam said about, about this expectations starting. I mean, I, I think he's right. Like it really starts from the very beginning. The whole, the entire Old Testament is just full of, I guess, realizations on the people's part. And sometimes because only because God comes in and tells them you should be waiting for this or you should be hoping for this. But um, some things that I thought about, you know, the very fact in the beginning that um, Adam and Eve sin against the Lord, um, he doesn't kill them immediately. I think that already institutes an expectation or a waiting for God to um, to do something to make it right. You know, why why didn't we die? Why didn't Adam and Eve cease to exist? Sort of in accordance with what what God said would happen if they ate from the tree. And there's there's all kinds of interpretations about what that means and why. You know, in the day that you eat of it, you will die. It doesn't mean like in that day. I, I really think that. Um, yes, we need to do some interpretive work with the, the phrase in that day, but I think that it really does point to the fact that they didn't die and that should trigger something in their minds where they're saying, why didn't we die? If God said we're going to die in that day, why didn't we die? And I think even from that point, God starts to show them, I'm, I'm a merciful God. Um, yes, I punish sin and iniquity, but um, I'm going to do something so that you don't die in this day. You know, when he, when he clothes them and send them out of the garden, I think he's showing an, um, an act of his mercy that he's saying that this relationship is going to continue, but there's sort of this expectation that we have to kind of wait and see, um, what is God going to do so that, uh, he was able to not kill them when they sinned, um, so, I mean, that's just one, one of many. And you think of Noah even being born, his name itself, um, you know, means rest. And his father says, you know, perhaps now the Lord will bring his rest from the curse on the ground from him. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just think there's, we could probably talk about thousands of different uh, hopes or expectations that, that were begun in the Old Testament. So, so trying to... to kind of marry that or, or merge that with with our affection like virgin mary or <laughs> this is advent we're talking about i assumed that's where you were going with that 
That's that good. A bird, that's a bird now. And how long have you been up, man? Seriously, that K cup. That K cup must have been a strong one. <laughs> is that the Starbucks Plus or something like that? Extra caffeine. That K cup must have been a strong one. Kind of. It's like I think it's, it's some kind of uber generic. I think it's called dark. Is that a uh, <laughs> Sam's Choice Brew Blend or something? Uh, is that a uh, <laughs> Sam's <laughs> Choice Brew Blend or something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's up with that? That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. You're not even the one in Colorado, right. right? We're just super chill. Chilling out around here, guys. Maybe that's why Caleb is so docile this morning. Just kind of just chilling out around here, guys. Hey, I wanna, look, can I jump in real quick? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to anyway. Um, so just going when Ryan said uh, at the end there the um, the notion of we could think of hundreds or thousands of these connections that that give us hope in the Old Testament. I just would add to that, like uh, not to start going through thousands of them, but like that's a that's I think the right way to read the Old Testament. Um, now there's a lot of nitty gritty details. Um, that we get into in the Old Testament, but the big overarching picture, I think, is this is this hope, is this longing. Um, you know, so I think even just to take the law, for example, you read the law and you're like, oh gosh, well, what do we do? How do we do this? How do we keep this? What are we supposed to do? And I, I think, yeah, we, we need to ask those questions, but at the end of the day, all of that is even pointing forward to the one who would fulfill it, the one who will do this, who will execute righteousness and justice, not only as a king, but as a human being, as one of us who who will fulfill this law. So I, I know that that can get like really thousand foot level, 30,000 foot level, whatever it is, but but just generally that's going to be the a, a good way for our hearts to be stirred as we read what feels like mundane sections uh, of the Old Testament. Um, let's just throw another one at you real quick. The genealogies, right? I mean, we've how do you in the world do you read the first nine chapters of First Chronicles? Good heavens. And I think that there's probably a lot of things, but at the very least, you're seeing offspring. You know, you're seeing the fulfillment by name of the promise given to Abraham that then extends out, of course, all the way to to Christ. Um, and so um all right, there's a lot of names here. That's cool. Well, but good. Read those names and then be hopeful that the one is coming who will fulfill all of this, all of these covenantal promises. And of course, is coming for Israel. That's what they were longing for as they're reading Chronicles. But then also now for us, the one who is coming again. You know, and so I think our hearts can be stirred by reading the Old Testament in those ways. A question that's now pinging around in my head with what you what both of you have said and it so we're we're looking back and we're seeing the old testament we're saying man we we can't wait for this one to come but he's already come and and it's like we're we're trying to conjure up an old hope an old expectation when we we actually have a hope or, or we, we have something that, that we should already be holding to of, we can't wait for him to return. We rejoice that he's come. And now we're, we're looking forward. So how, how do you balance or how do you help people and teach and preach during this season of, hey, here was a hope that was fulfilled and here's a hope that's not. 
like how do you how do you bring those two together because we're we're celebrating the coming of Jesus but like it's already happened yeah <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know if that makes sense no. yeah no it does and I, I think to be honest that's one of the the main reasons I think it's so vital that we we study and know the Old Testament um, not to make this the the Old Testament podcast or something but um, what what we see is that Oaks of righteousness hopes, is in Isaiah. The hopes. <laughs> that's right. That is true. The hopes of righteousness. Um, so the the Old Testament hopes that were created are not fully fulfilled. So that that's why I'm saying like kind of earlier, like we could wait for another 2000 years because the the guarantee of our inheritance that the Holy Spirit gives us now was inaugurated in Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. So, you know, if, if you think about the the kind of restoration that's described in the Old Testament, um, and not to get uber theological about this, but I mean, in the one sense that the dispensationalists are doing it right, because they're looking very much in detail at the things that were promised. And they're saying, well, you know, these things were promised to Israel, and they, they know a lot of the details about what's being promised. And so when you look at what Christ did when he came, you go, well, it's not done. I mean, this is incredible. This is amazing. Like nothing like this has happened since the beginning of time. But if we're talking about um, hearts that are completely sold out for God and his glory and all that he does, hearts that don't sin, um, peace in a land with no concern for enemies or something like that, um, this this kind of um, ability to interrelate with all the nations of the earth in such a way that we're all speaking and singing the same glories of God. Like we, we get glimpses of that um, by God's grace in the church, but we don't see that happening at this global, worldwide, universal and eternal kind of level. And so, you know, the, the hope, I, I, again, I think it's increased because if, if Christ had not come yet, we're still sitting around wondering, like, is God going to be faithful to his word? This is a really long time to wait to see that, but but he's come and said, "Here's a down payment of this. Here's here's how the consolation of Israel happens. Boom. Here's my son. Here's how sin is atoned for. Um, here's how there is reconciliation among the peoples of God. And now here's the Holy Spirit to to just start to do in your hearts what could never be done under the old covenant. You know, you you start to obey. You start to love and want to know." how to walk in righteousness and holiness on a day-to-day level. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's how the hope is, is inaugurated. That's, that's an even greater hope than Israel might've had. Yeah. I don't know if you used the word inaugurated at the very beginning, but you just did. And I think that's probably a key idea is that the hope is inaugurated, but it's not yet finished. Um, right. and the thing that, the, the thing that I don't want uh, man, I had this thought in my mind just a second ago, and it's I now need to put it back together. But like, I, there's a sense in which this side of the cross, we would be tempted to say the old testament, mean, and we do have this temptation. You see it play out where people say the old testament doesn't apply to the church today; it doesn't matter. And what I want to the picture that I want to paint is that no, it does matter. It does apply to the church today because the historical situations are at least analogous, if not similar. That might mean the same thing, but they're at least analogous in the Indeed. in the sense of. <laughs> I, I think I meant to say analogous, if not identical, but I didn't think that felt like that felt a little strong. Um, they they are at least analogous in the sense that that the hope 
is no different. You know, the and so to try to make a distinction between the hope of an Old Testament saint for Messiah and our hope for Messiah, the hope is no different. The surety is different because of Christ's first advent. We know, like like Ryan said, we know no matter how long it takes, there's no longer a question of will we remain in the land? Will God finally defeat our enemies? Will we receive the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant? Will we continue to have children along a, a, a Jewish lineage or an Israelite lineage? You know, those questions are no longer in play, even though Israel had historical fulfillment after historical fulfillment of all of these promises coming to pass. You would think they would have an equal amount of hope and surety, but but you don't until until it until Christ comes and it is sure. But even though it is sure, that hope is sure, it's still not here yet. And and in in full, as Ryan said. And so I don't know if I would draw as much of a distinction between the types of hope as the surety of the hope, I guess, if that makes any sense. Several of the people I've talked to recently don't it's not that they don't jump back in real quick what's that yeah can i jump jump back in in? i'm I'm sorry sorry. i just had had another thought thought. that in relation to the hope thing sorry caleb it's all right because Because you're on video video, it's like you're frustrated it's already done oh really (laughs) just calm down okay (laughs) it probably just looks like i'm falling asleep (laughs) so we just discussed the distinction between hope i want to go back and discuss the like i want to think about longing as well. That that's that's where I feel like affection fits in here. Or or what what Edwards would talk about as the religious affections. Like okay, it's one thing for us to talk about hope in a very ethereal sense and oh they had hope, we have hope. Oh, I hope I get a bicycle for Christmas. Yeah, okay, that's that's nice and cute. But there's this deep longing in your bones and in your soul for things to be made right. And for for the for the created order to be made right. And if we if we make too big of a distinction between the Old Testament longing for Christ to come and our longing for Christ to come again, if we make those things too distinct, then then we by just marrying them into this one identical hope, then we you know I think we run the risk of um, I think we run the risk of losing that longing. Um, for for ourselves today, you know, which which then we read the Old Testament and we're like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this. And I would argue that it very many many of those sections that we're like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this. We do the same thing that the Old Testament saints did with it. We read it and we go, Please God, make this right. Please God, fulfill this thing. Um, and and that longing for God to make things right, uh, I, I think is where it fits into the affection, at least for me. And I may I may just be a sap, but whatever. No, I, I mean, I guess maybe look, that's one of the things I think the New Testament instills the same hope and longing. Um, it, it's like they, they use the same kind of language as the Old Testament to just say, look, we're not there yet. Keep going. We're still strangers and aliens and exiles in a foreign land. Um, you're still called to be a kingdom of priests to the Lord. Um, you look at the apocalypse of John, um, the kinds of things he ends, ends the book with, you know, amen, come Lord quickly, Jesus, right? Uh, he's 
he's still pointing us forward to the the final consolation of all things. Um, but do you think, Ryan, though, that in our culture today, there's and maybe I don't want to say like in the church, but like, do you think that there's a sense in which because Christ has come, that we don't see that emphasis on the longing? Um, I mean, yes, I I think, but I think that's the same kind of impulse that that you might have seen in the Old Testament, uh, where people just you know, we're fat and happy in the land and we're good to go. I think, I think we see that in our culture because just the, the situation of our life is fairly comfortable. I think probably the saints in, in more mm-hmm. dire circumstances, I think they probably have a stronger sense of that longing than we do. Yeah. Do, you, do you think with that, the, um, we try to put all the hope into the first coming and we don't teach very well about the second one. And so we're, um, I don't know. I, like, I just get this picture of like leaning on like a crutch and, and it's not a crutch, but just like, it, it, it's not, is a crutch. Crutch. <laughs> no, <laughs> what I'm saying is like, we're, we're trying to put so much weight onto something that's not supposed to bear all that weight. Yes. Now that's a good way to put it. The, the first coming of Christ was not yeah. intended to bear the entire weight of, of the longing and hope that was given. Right. And so some people, when they're like, hey, this is joy, this is peace, this is all this stuff, but it's not, you know, it's not in my life. Like, I, I have troubles, I have all this stuff going yeah. going on. And then you're trying to tell me that because Jesus came, everything's fine, and it's not. Like, I, do you yeah. think people wrestle with that, and we need to do a better job of, hey, look up because he's coming again. Yeah, I, I think that's pro- that's what I'm trying to express in many more words and very less succinctly. Um, the, that um, our, when we hear it is finished, our general tendency, I think, is to say, oh, okay, it is finished. Well, what is it? I don't, I don't know what it is. Something's finished. Maybe that longing is finished. Maybe that hope is finished. Maybe because Jesus came. And that's that, like, yes, the pinnacle of of history in that moment but like there is but you're right life is not fixed this world is not fixed it the fixing has been inaugurated the spirit has been given so that hearts want to obey the law um but but it's not fixed yet and so uh yeah i think that's that's what i'm trying to get at is that we don't just look back to the first advent of Christ and say, um, and be disappointed that it's not all fixed. That wasn't the intention. And, and we, um, we have the same longing then for, for more to come. So I think there's probably, um, at least two streams of Christianity that I'll, I'll say get this wrong. That sounds terribly arrogant. Like I'm sitting at the top of a mountain saying, you know, assessing and analyzing maybe two dangers or tendencies that we might have as Christians would be a better way to say it. Um, one would be, and I think this is kind of what you had mentioned, Caleb, probably the, the most prevalent uh, issue maybe in what we might call evangelicalism in Western societies is this idea that really there's just a pretty, pretty thin uh, hope that even exists, period. You know, we, we sort of, we talk about the gospel as, you know, you're a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus came and saved you and someday he's taking you to heaven kind of thing. 
Um, and this, you know, whatever you think of N.T. Wright, I think this is a, a good emphasis that he puts forward is that the, the gospel is much thicker than that. Um, and so I think the hope is, is thin because we don't, we don't really understand the, the gravity of our situation. We don't understand what God has promised to do in light of that. I mean, you, you think about this hope being born out of God's unbelievable promises. That's one of the things I'm, I'm struck every time I go through the Old Testament with students is just God just keeps digging himself deeper and deeper into a, a pit that only he can get out of. Um, maybe that's not the best way to say it, but the kinds of promises he makes puts his very reputation at stake. And, and it, it's a situation that you think there's no way anybody could possibly fulfill all of this. Um, so I got off track a little bit there. So just this idea of a thin gospel of thin hope, I think, is one of the dangers. I think the other danger um, that's that's become fairly prominent is, um, you know, what we call like an over-realized eschatology. And I think you see that in a lot of like prosperity gospel types of situations or um, kind of faith healing types of situations where they are looking at, <laughs> what was that look for? <laughs> Always going there. Um you know, we, we want to see all of the promises fulfilled in Jesus's first coming. So we, we can claim healing over certain things because Jesus has come, right? Um, well, I, I think that's that's one of the issues that, that we need to wrestle with is like, you know, well, there is a right expectation that God will do something to deal with diseases or um, strife in the world or, uh, um, you know, relationships that, that are are torn apart, wars and things like that. And we, we kind of expect, well, Jesus has already come, so we should be able to expect that these things would cease. And maybe there's a faith issue at, at play, right? That we're not believing in the things that God is doing. And so um, I'll, I'll cut it off there just to, you know, kind of put those two things out there. Maybe an over-realized eschatology or a really, really thin gospel. I'm even thinking of like the Lord's Supper, um, where we're to do this, in remembrance of me uh, until I come uh, when I, when I have this again with you in the kingdom. So, so the Christian's hope is to look back and to see yeah. the faithfulness and the delight that God has done for his people. But it's not just to do that. It's to look forward in expectation that, that he's coming again and will make all things Right. And because we have this spirit, that longing should be greater. But but how do we. Uh, so after years and years, you know, for some of us, more years than others of, of hearing Brian. these. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm not the oldest one here. Well, sorry. <laughs> of, of hearing these things. How do we how do we not get tired of this? How do we not uh, become. Uh, robots in the sense of, well, heard this. Oh, we're going to Isaiah again, of course. Oh, Matthew 1. All right, here here it comes. Um, how, how do we help our people? How do we help our own hearts grow in this hope and longing from these, from these texts that we hear every year for the next four or five weeks? And then we just put them on the shelf again. Like, how, how do we do that? Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, uh, for me, and I, I may be the center in the group, but for me, it it takes a lot of strategic intentionality. It's um, a lot of big words. Yeah, you like that. 
Strate- you like strategery is what you like. <laughs> strategery. Yeah. A lot of strategery. Um, but intentionality is the word I'm thinking of, and, and I'm not thinking necessarily intentional pharisaical practices. I'm talking intentional heart uh, and mind directions. So like if making myself, forcing myself, reminding myself to focus on my own longing, to focus on the hope that I have, to focus on these texts in a new light. And I think uh, I've realized in the last several years with being a professor that a lot of a lot of these texts, not just the Advent texts, but a lot of these texts can feel like they're second nature. And I don't ever want that to happen. I don't, and so yeah. just always combating that uh, that notion when it creeps into my mind of, oh, here we go again, immediately combating that in, and intentionally, but immediately combating that with, um, yes, what does the Lord have for me now, this time? Because there's going to be there's something new. And so that helps. I don't know if that, that, I don't know how that fits into the spiritual disciplines world, but um, just, you know, folk, making sure that I'm intentional to keep my mind and heart in the right place. That takes me then to, that that's my individual desire that takes me then to okay now how do you do that and i i have to i have to jump back to edwards that uh, if these affections are going to reign uh, in our lives they have to be spirit driven and so a lot of prayer a lot of asking the spirit of god to stir my affections and that may be even in the moment like okay here we go to this passage again um, well i've heard that one nope nope don't don't go there keep your brain keep your brain focused and Lord, I pray that your spirit will stir something new in my heart right now. Um, and so so those are maybe a couple of practical ways that that help me. Um, but also just continuing to study. I mean, Ryan's mentioned the thickness of the Old Testament, and the I talk about how rich and robust it is. And the more the more I read, the more I study, the more I dig in, the more I feel that same kind of kind of hope. And so none of these texts then become mundane because you're you're hearing them again, but it's it's reminders just like the Lord's Supper. Who I mean, you take the Lord's Supper, well that was mundane. There we go again. No, I hope that we can like, you know, discipline our minds and our hearts yeah. to ask the spirit of God to to uh make these memories full and robust and joyful. So, uh there you go. Ron, what do you got? Yeah, I think the uh, I like Adam how you pointed out the the necessity of of leaning into the Lord asking the Spirit for help and I I think it's that's not a mundane thing to say that's not a rote yeah yeah sure whatever like God did not make us to do this life without Him God did not make us to to know a formula I can't like if I like I I think Adam you would agree with this Caleb probably you too like I can't just read the Bible and pray. And expect the Lord to do these things, right? I like I need to actually go to the Lord and ask Him for help, right? I can. It's possible for me to read the Bible and pray and not have anything to do with the Lord, right? And that's that's not how He created us to be. It's not uh, what the song says. It just says, "Read your Bible, pray every day, grow, grow, grow." It's true, it's true right? Um, Did you say song? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How does it go? Will you sing it for us, Caleb? Um, I'll pa- I'll pass. Okay, fine. I don't know how that happened in the microphone, but I caught the uh, beginning S of the word song as a TH, so carry on. A song is a TH. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, that we need the spirit to work um, in order for these things to happen. Um, and it's not going to otherwise. So that, you know, that, but the spirit works through the things like the word and prayer and the gathering of his saints. That would be something I would add to what Adam said is just doing these things in community. Yeah, community that's right. Faith and um, like the Lord's Supper, I think um, that so many times my heart is helped because I see someone else experiencing the Lord's goodness in their life. Yeah. And that you, you can't you can't replicate that on your own. Um, I need to see my kids coming up to me and asking me a question about how they can follow the Lord or, or see um, a brother who, you know, has experienced the Lord's salvation or experienced the Lord's forgiveness in a certain way or who, who is walking through hard things and the Lord is sustaining his faith. And I, I sit back there and I go, oh, my goodness, what have I been doing for the last three weeks? You know, just been in this rut of, of self-focused life. And this is what's really going on over here. I think our churches can emphasize these hopes. I think, you know, the the more we put it in front of our faces, the more likely it is we'll think about it, the more likely it is that, that we'll actually reach out to the Lord and ask for his help, the more likely that the Spirit can use those things to uh, to stir our hearts for, for them as well. Yeah, I was thinking just even in our families too, so that these things don't become just rote yearly family Bible time types of things, but, you know, being intentional. And I, I, I need to be better of that just on a regular basis with family Bible times. You know, we you kind of think, well, family worship times don't have to be elaborate and crazy, just be consistent. But then my pendulum swings all the way to that end to where it's just, well, let's do this again tonight. You yeah, know? sit down but, and stop wiggling around, yeah, look at your sister yeah, and like, just, yeah. we're going to read the Bible and love it, all right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. William yeah. William gets mad at me when I ask him about the catechisms. When I'm like, <laughs> "How many gods are there? One, Dad. I already told you that. Stop asking me." <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, I'm gonna keep asking you. So yeah, and I think just even this time of year, especially you know maybe, um, and and in light of being in the United States, I don't know where everybody is in the world listening to this, but especially in the United States with commercialism and things of that nature, you know, it's important for us to, to keep our hearts and our family's hearts focused, um, on, on the, the, the reason for why, you know, why we celebrate Advent and, and why it's such a joy, but that takes intentionality too, you know, maybe even some additional intentionality, um, as we uh, as we have family worship times or whatever, so um, I'm just trying to think of practical things that we can do. Um, but yeah, at the yeah. end of the day, we we have to rely on the Spirit to fuel think, our affections. Yeah, one one more thing I would say would be um, to to keep tying the Old Testament to the New Testament hope as well. Um, oh, it sounded so like you said tying it. To the new time. Did you mean unhitch? I'm sorry. No, like to no. hitch. <laughs> to hitch to the oxen of the uh, the New Testament. Hitching it. Hitching it. <laughs> Thank you for uh, keeping all of our our uh, consonants very clear there. Um, yeah, like it. I I love that we rightly will will come into an Advent season and point out the Old Testament text that. that point us to Christ's coming. Um, but like Caleb, like you mentioned early on in this thing, it's easy to see this as a, a past tense done kind of thing. Um, but I think this is, this is where, you know, te- uh, movements that will, will tie the new Testament to the old Testament. I think it's really, really helpful because, 
um, like we're able then to see the the future hope that still exists for us. So that's really good. Uh, real quick. So this time is um, an extremely busy one. We have family. We've got friends. All these things, just tons of stuff going on. Some of us have friends, Adam. Um, <laughs> Everyone's pausing because I leaned into my microphone. I'm not going to say anything. I thought you had something, something snarky to say, but. Well, the filter is working today, so I didn't say it. Oh, that's good. You don't want to get fired today, um, or in three years not when today. I post it. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just give, give me till the summer, and I'll be off for a few months. And- it's a busy, a busy season, and often we can lose and lose focus during busyness. What practical ways or helpful ways have you guys slowed down even in the midst of, of utter chaos? Um, and may, maybe you haven't, I don't know. But. <laughs> the thought that just went, I thought you were going to ask what are some practical ways that you keep focused on this season? And I was going to say that we just judge everybody <laughs> at the mall for all their commercialism. <laughs> yes. We go to the mall and just judge them. See, we're not like them, children. Thank you, Lord. That's how we keep our brains focused on the rest of the world. That's what the father did in Proverbs, right? Hey, come here, son. Let me point out everybody that's doing stuff wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry, I messed that one up, but that was funny. Go, Ron. I was just going to say pass. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's, That's exactly how I maintain sanity in the midst of chaos is I pass on questions that I don't have a good answer to. Um, what'd you, what'd you say? It's, it's busy and practical ways that we just maintain. Yeah. Slow down. Remember this because we do want to have a hope. We do want to cultivate a, an expectation, um, that, that Christ is returning and a joyful response that he has come. So how do we, how Um, do we keep that in in this season? I'm going to throw one at you that just came up in church yesterday. Um, for us and has kind of, I think, just helped Liz and I think about time management, period, not to mention around this holiday season, but just our use of technology and phones. Um, yesterday at uh, at church, Dr. Eliff preached on time management, and his last, his last point was just the use of technology. Of course, not condemning it, but just saying it does consume a good portion of our lives. And... Um, I just know how many times you know you may be at a family gathering, or um, you know we're we're traveling, and so life is chaotic uh, when we're traveling with four kids, Ryan, traveling with five kids. It just it gets chaotic, um, and you know we we're tempted to resort to some sort of entertainment um, that doesn't have to be technology, but you know we we're tempted to resort to some kind of entertainment rather than engaging with human beings and. One of the things that uh, Dr. Eliff brought up yesterday was he asked his parents, um, hey, were we busy when we were kids? Like, did you feel stressed about your busyness? Because it just feels like life is crazy right now. And he said that his, his mom said, you know, we were busy, but I don't ever remember being stressed about it. And then he said, he said, well, maybe she just doesn't have a good memory. So he went and asked his dad and he said his dad said the same thing, that life was just as busy, but it wasn't stressful and it just got me thinking, like, to what degree is it not stressful because we're actually engaging in joyful, real relationships with human beings? And 
I've been convicted of that lately myself, just uh, time at home. Like it's one thing to leave the office and be at home, but am I, you know, checking my fantasy football scores? Am I, um, you know, even good stuff? Like, am I, am I looking up a video to watch about the Nephilim so I'll know what to do in class? You know, it just, I can, I can blame it on good things, but at the end of the day, I think during this time of year, especially, it's going to be helpful for us to just, at least for our family, maybe helpful for others, to um, actually engage with one another and and talk and and that then I think will bring up conversations about the season. You know, why are we? You know, just uh, why are we remembering these things? Why are we remembering Advent? What are we hoping for? Um, I'm not going to have those conversations with my kids if I'm behind my Twitter verse. So. That that's very specific may not apply to many people, but that I think that'll be uh, that helpful for us. Applies to most people that would be listening to this. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. I think that there's that kind of active role of of establishing traditions and things like that that can help you slow down. Um, but I think, like, I would kind of phrase it in this way: like, you you do the things you did at first, uh, the things that you're you're supposed to be doing all the time anyway. So I think you know if, if we continue to intentionally um, spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, spend time gathered with the with the family of faith. Um, in some sense, that's going to be maybe the best hope we have of of maintaining a right perspective through the season. Um, to to some extent, because we've only got so much time in a day anyway, and you know rather than not that it's an either or kind of thing, but rather than like saying, oh, I want to make sure I do these things during the, the Advent season. And that potentially crowds out the other good things um, that, that we say, you know, we keep staying in the word. We keep staying um, in our regular time of worship. And in some sense, that's going to crowd out many of the other things that we could be doing. Um, it's kind of a maybe an overly obvious or simplistic kind of thing. But but sometimes it's it's that whole like big rocks in the jar analogy uh, that everybody uses. And the first time you hear it, you're like, Ooh, that's profound. And then after it just becomes kind of cliche, but you know, if you've got a jar and you put your big rocks in first, um, that's the most important priority things in your life. And then you can put in smaller rocks and eventually the sand of life and it, it'll kind of fill in all the, the different areas. But if you kind of do the, the trite easy things first, there's no way you can get the more important things in there. Um, yeah, like I said, if you've heard that for the first time, it's it's pretty profound. But <laughs> that was my first time. Um, yeah, was that's, it really? Yeah, I no, think surely not. That's seriously the first time I've heard it. So what? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. You guys need to get out more. That's that's how you need to worry about your Advent stuff this season. <laughs> that was pretty profound. <laughs> when when you said that, the first thing I thought of was the monkey with the jar thing, where he puts his fist in and he can't get his hand out. That's what I. Okay. That's where my hand. I thought that was a raccoon. I thought that was supposed to be a raccoon. Uh, whatever. No, you grew up in Missouri. It is a raccoon. But okay. I was actually in Oklahoma, but same same. Oh difference. well, sorry. Anyway, all that to say, like I was thinking of where the red fern grows. <laughs> that was in Oklahoma. So. Well, so I'm not a geography major. <laughs> That's good. That's Nor a good. literature major. <laughs> anyway, I don't know where the, the rocks analogy comes from, but but the idea is like you, you only have a, a certain amount of space. It's fixed in, or time, I mean. And, you know, if you make sure that you do the priority kinds of things, uh, in some ways you kind of have less time for the, the trite things that, that just kind of fill space. But even if you do, 
uh, hey, I'm going to play around with this video or Twitter or whatever, um, if you're still prioritizing those other things, they're not being crowded out of the way. Yeah, that's a good way to say it because I would I would not argue that you don't do the other things. I mean, I know right. that a lot of folks find, I mean that that's part of the rest as well. Is right. if, at least for me, not having my brain engaged in what lectures coming up tomorrow or some, you know, complex passage of the Old Testament, but being able to just unplug for a little bit. So those things right. can be important too. No, that's really helpful. All right. Um, any other last second thoughts on on Advent and the way um, our affections? are stirred towards the the long expected one i don't think so until next time there is ultimate joy to be pursued and it's found in jesus christ pursue him